0: ...took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, lovely, he, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes... Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. So we have another story of the Lord's mercy and healing. And it's a story that that at first glance seems to be a story that unfolds in a manner that we're pretty accustomed to by now. Hopefully not getting calloused to, hopefully not getting uh, uh, bored of. I mean, this, these are miraculous events, supernaturally healing these folks. So this, this man with a disability he can't see is brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. So it's kind of a rhythm that we've seen before. And, but we've also talked about the fact that Jesus never worked in, in kind of canned formulas, right? Right? We're the people of canned formulas. <laughs> we, you know, the and, and too often, uh, even as the church by and large, we're people of canned formulas. Like, we just just give me the formula, give me the way to do it, A, B, C, D, and you know, now I know what I need to know. And Je- Jesus just didn't work that way. And even every healing was unique, um, and this this episode is no exception. So let me ask you, what is what's distinctive? about this healing? What jumps out at you where you say, oh, I haven't seen that before? Yeah, so yeah. So it's, it's really, really interesting. This is the only healing in all the Gospels that you could say happened in two stages. Now you have John 9 where the Lord tells the man to go and wash, but that man's sight was restored once he went and washed and it was immediate. So this this is kind of a very... Distinctly unique story in which um, there's this two-stage healing. Jesus spits in his eyes. Kids were not like setting this up as a standard, right, of what to do if someone's hurting. Don't spit on them. But Jesus spits in his eyes. Um, he touches him. Do you see anything? He asks a simple question. Do you see anything? Well, I see. I see people. They look like trees, you know. And he, so he says, puts his hands on him again, and then he sees clearly. He's restored. Um, when, I, when I go for a motorcycle ride, I usually don't wear my glasses because I don't, I, I don't like shoving them in my, I gotta put them like this up in my helmet. So I don't wear my glasses and Cheryl's always like, do you see, can you see anything? And I'm like, yeah, but just not real well, you know, I don't, so my eyes are not that, that bad. But so th- there's, this, there's this, this staging in his healing Um, And it's the second time that he can see totally clearly. So we kind of say, why? Why why would the Lord do this? Um, Mark doesn't give us a real direct direct reason why or indication. We we could say, just as a little side note, that this is actually cool in the sense of when you look at Scripture, this is actually another indication of the authenticity of Scripture. The the writers of Scripture, When they came to things that were very difficult, they didn't like explain them away or leave them out. They just told it as it happened. So there's some things in here that you say people could say, Well, was Jesus powerful enough and what's going on here? Um, But even in difficult things, the writers just said, This is what this is what occurred. And that speaks to the authenticity of the of the scripture. Um, But but we're left to a little bit of guesswork here. What why didn't he? Heal him all at once, which was normally the case. I, I think it's foolish to question the Lord's power, right? Especially at this point. We're right, just so you know, too, as we're walking through Mark, we're kind of right in the, in the middle of Mark, right in the middle of the story. And, and Mark very much leads up to this point and then leads us in a little bit of a different direction from this point. And up to this point, Jesus is the powerful miracle worker of God. And, and, and to, to question whether the Lord had enough power here really leaves us feel, should leave us feeling kind of foolish. This is the same Lord that has, at a word, at a touch, completely healed the blind and the lame. He is, you know, the, the, we just talked about the, the Canaanite woman who her, her daughter was possessed by a demon and just by a word. You know, he heals that, that little girl and she goes home and finds her, finds her restored and delivered. The, the girl that, that was, had died, the little Jarius' daughter, right, he goes out, he, sends, he goes over, sends everybody out of the room, and, you know, he's not dead, she's just asleep. Everybody laughs, we know, we took the pulse. He, said, he takes her by the hand, little girl, get up, and she's alive again. So, so to, to say Jesus doesn't have the power doesn't seem like the right assumption, especially according to the gospel. Uh, some, some propose that maybe the blind man's faith was faltering, that it was a process of faith for the man. Uh, one commentator, his name is Walter Wessel, uh, suggests that Jesus may have moved only as quickly as the man's faith would allow. That's an interesting possibility. Um, but I think there's another possibility here that we can really easily miss. Anybody, anybody have any other thoughts? Okay. Right. I can sit down now. All right. Thanks a lot, Alan. No <laughs> No, it's great. It, yeah, so I, and I think I think what we can say is another possibility is here, and we'll flesh out a little bit what these guys were saying is that Jesus just did it on purpose. Jesus did it on purpose. And you say, well, what what advantage would there be of that? Um, often, when we when you study the Scripture, there there's there's a couple different aspects of studying the Scripture, and I'll, I'll just really simple, simplify by saying it's helpful with the Scripture to step in close, at one level is to step in close. What's going on? What's going on in the wordage? Why did, why did the writer use these words? Maybe if you're a language person, why do they use these specific words and get into the language a little bit? I'm stepping in close. I'm almost microscoping in. What's going on in the de- with the details of the story that at first blush I might overlook? And then... We also need to do what? Step back and take a look at the big picture. What's going on in the context? What's going on? And if you do one without the other, sometimes you get yourself in a little bit of trouble or at very least miss some really important lessons. Um, So we'll do that really simply this morning. There's much, much further we can go with this. But but if we come close to the story and we think about some of the, the details of the story... We see some things, like we've said, that we've seen these rhythms before. A few really faithful friends bring this guy to Jesus, and they, they beg Jesus. I mean, it's so easy to miss those words. They, they're pleading with Jesus. They're begging Jesus. They're desperate. And, and the Lord responds to us in our desperation. Um, he particularly seems to respond to us in our desperation, and and they they plead with the lord and, and it's it's just such a beautiful reminder to keep interceding in prayer keep lifting up your friends keep lifting up your loved ones keep keep being keep interceding and keep inviting keep inviting and keep inviting and keep the lord the lord is happy to use us in the process of bringing people to himself right Now, I I can't save anybody. I can't forgive anybody's sins from first to last. I can't rescue them from from judgment, God's judgment, but Jesus can. So what I need to do is I need to intercede and I need to invite, hey, you got to meet this Jesus. We we see Jesus, like with the deaf mute of chapter 7, being really sensitive to this guy's specific needs. Um, In this story, it seems that Jesus... Jesus relies very heavily on touch because that would have been very important to a blind man, right? We see, him, we see him take him by the hand. I just thought that was a really beautiful picture just there, right? That Jesus would take the man. So they're begging and they're in the village and, oh, help our friend. And please, please, Lord, if, if, if you can, if you will, help our friend. And he just, he doesn't seem anything at the moment. He just takes the man by the hand and then just leaves everybody, <laughs> and leaves everybody behind. I say, why did he do that? And, and we've talked about before how he loved, he loved these one-on-one encounters with folks. And it would have been particularly important when you think about a blind man to eliminate all the other what? Noise, right? All the other distractions. I want you just to hear my voice. And there certainly could be more going on there, but I think that's at least a couple things. So it, to me, again, what a beautiful invitation for the Lord Jesus to continue to say, listen, it's really important for you to let me take you by the hand and lead you to quiet places. And that there would be a rhythm of your life because there's a lot of clutter, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of distraction, and you need to, get, you need to have this rhythm in your life where we put those distractions aside and sometimes go out of the village to a quiet place and you can, so you can just hear my voice. And I think the other thing as we come in close and we're sitting with the Lord and we're looking at the details of this, and, and we say, why, why did he do once and twice and why was it two stages? The one thing I do see there, too, is that the Lord persisted until it was done, right? The Lord persisted. Now, I think there's other spiritual implications. There's other lessons, but the Lord, the Lord persisted until it was done, he wouldn't leave a job half done, right and sometimes I feel half baked right and I'm like, oh lord how you know how are you gonna finish this mess you know what I mean how are you gonna finish this thing and I, and I you know i we sang this morning, I thought these walls would be broken down by now I thought I'd be in a you know I thought I'd be here and I'm here and I'm still struggling with this and i'm I'm still insecure about this and, and it's like i Lord, are you sure you can finish this and he's like. What do he say in Philippians one six? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to what? To completion. To completion, until the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord doesn't leave things half done. So as I, I come close and I step in and I look at the details, I say, "Wow, there's a lot of beautiful things to learn here." But then, what happens if I step back just a little bit and I say, "Well, what's going on in the? What is Mark talking about? What's going on in the bigger picture?" And I see this, this first, this partial sight, and then later full clarity. The word translated clearly uh, with this blind man's healing literally means clearly at a distance. So as we step back and we say, Lord, I need to see this story a little more clearly at a distance, we, we consider the context, what Mark is talking about. We remember how Mark is pointing out to us over and over and over again that the people and Especially his own disciples can't see him clearly, right? They, they seem to have this inability to see Jesus for who he is. Just a little while ago, he was in a boat with them and he's like, he's like, he he's expresses this frustration. He's, Don't, he says, Do you still not see or understand? Do you still not see? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And now this miracle. And I think as we continue to take the context, then we also look at what comes after it. We'll read 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around uh, Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So the disciples are now in the the northern reaches of Israel. You couldn't get any more north than this. And it's an area that's known for its veneration of Caesar. It's an area that's known for cultic and, and pagan worship. And in this place of like utter darkness, utter spiritual darkness, there's something seen. But before we get there, Jesus has this first question, and it has to do with the common perceptions of who he is according to the people. Um, I don't think Jesus asked questions to... I don't think Jesus asked questions... So a couple of people are laughing. I know, it's Harrison Ford, right? That's, uh, <laughs> anybody else? Met, can anyone name these guys? Freud. What's that? Yep, Freud... Very good. Very good. So he asks he asks them a question, not for information. I think whenever he asks a question, he says our heart, our mind, our soul, get some prodding going on, and he says, What are the people's perceptions of me? Who do they say I am? Who do they see me to be? And what are what are the people's what, what are the people thinking? How do the how do the disciples respond to that? Okay. Somebody who's already there, like not they, see him, they see him, as either one of the prophets or Elijah like, who's come back, they come the Baptist back. back. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean the the, the Religious people of the day were opposing the Lord, but the common people seem to think he's a pretty good old chap, right? And and not only is he a good guy, he's probably sent from God, and he's probably really special. He might even be the fulfillment of Malachi four or five. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the of the Lord comes. Yeah, so so he's he's some sort of prophet. He's sent by God. He's really good. And he may even be this miraculous, you know, Elijah back on the scene or, or John the Baptist from the dead or I mean he's something special. So what if this question was asked in twenty first century America? Who do people say that I am? In general, what would you how would people respond? Any other thoughts? Jesus gets tied into all kinds of things. Come on, now. I mean, his time is coming. Okay, kind of a historical figure. Yeah. So I mean, I, I you know certainly I, people still have a high view of Jesus. Generally speaking, people still have a high view of Jesus um, in a human standpoint, right? So they'll say, hey, he's a good teacher, like Harrison Ford there. Yeah, see, that's good. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a philosopher. He's a, he's a genius with his um, teaching of his morality. Maybe, maybe he's a nonviolent social revolutionist, a nonviolent political revolutionist. Um, maybe Jesus is the source and motivator of my present social activism or my present uh, political ideology. Jesus gets tied into all of that, right? Typically, then and now, Jesus looked at, is looked at as profoundly wise, profoundly good. And probably at some fashion or another, sent by God. He's often the poster boy for uh, social movements and political movements. Yeah, you know what Jesus said? <laughs> you listen to the Republicans. You know what Jesus said? You know what the Bible said? You know what Jesus said? Listen to Democrats. You know what Jesus said? You know what, you know. All kinds of social movements, good, bad, in between. You know what Jesus said? But is that seeing Jesus clearly? You, maybe we could ask, is that seeing Jesus at all? Well, it's fun to speculate. <laughs> it's easy to talk about what other people think about Jesus, right? It's, you know, let's, let's speculate. Let's, let's the, you know, have our theory. And what do people think? And, boy, people go in a lot of different directions with that. And yet we can have this impersonal conversation about everybody else. And then Jesus, very strategically, moves from the impersonal, from those people to the personal. How about you? How about you? R. Allen Cole writes that this question transfers theology from an armchair discussion to an uncomfortable dialogue between God and us. And we we can just kind of imagine as Jesus is on the journey and so what do the people say? Oh, some say John the Baptist. Huh, imagine that. Some say Elijah. Well, some prophet of old. And then you can almost imagine him pausing and looking at his men in the eye and saying, all right, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And we can go back to this story of the blind man and we can see the context. And it's like, do you see anything? Forget about what everybody else is saying. Forget about everybody else's best guess. And let's talk me and you. Do you see me yet? And listen, that's a conversation that, Nobody can have for you. Nobody. That's a conversation that is a you and Jesus conversation. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And and Peter makes a statement. You can take that slide down if you don't have the third slide. Thanks, Derek. Peter makes a statement that becomes... The hinge of this gospel, it's right in the middle of the gospel. A statement that we don't realize how profound the statement would have been. It would have taken the it would have felt like the air was removed from from the, the space, you know. Because maybe they thought it, maybe they hoped, maybe they, you know, there's all these little possibilities but now Peter the 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 guy that just can't help but say right we all know people like that I could be a person like that can't help but say can't help but be a spokesman says you are the Christ and, and I just it's one of those like I wish I was there moments like what what did the other guys do? Like, what you are the Christ. Christ in the, Christ is the Greek of what? Messiah. Messiah means what? The anointed one. It means the anointed one. right? Messiah means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, priests and kings, occasionally prophets were anointed with oil and that recognized them and commissioned them to their role. And it signified a person that was chosen by God, empowered by God, and set apart by God for a special work. So in a sense, we could say all those guys that were were anointed prophets, prophets, priests, and kings were Messiah's small m. They were anointed ones. But the prophets then spoke of a Messiah a anointed one, Messiah, capital M, if you will, and he will not be a prophet or a priest or a king. He will be all three. He will be prophet, priest, and king, and he will sit on David's throne, and he's going to restore the fortunes of Israel forever. That's the one they were waiting for, 400 years of silence after the last prophet wrote. And then John the Baptist does come on the scene, Elijah does come back on the scene, right? John the Baptist comes and says, there's someone that whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He must become greater, I must become less. And Peter says, you're that guy. You're, you're not the preparation, you're, you're the final act. <laughs> you're not the one that's just pointing me to God, you are God. But Matthew tells us that, that he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if Jesus is in fact the Messiah, then any view less than that, any view less than that, falls eternally short of who Jesus actually is. In fact, this realization is so profound that Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16, 16, he he says, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Like it couldn't have just come to you, Peter. This is the Lord showing you something that you, you couldn't have realized on your own. And again, Walter Wessel writes, The disciples' eyes, too, are opened, not by human perception, but by the miracle of God's gracious revelation, which was as much a miracle as the opening of the blind man's eyes. Now, you might think, well, is that really so profound uh, I hear this every week I go to church. I hear Randy say it all the time. I hear Megan sing about it. I hear Daniel sing about it. You know, I, I mean, we, we worship about it. We pray about it. We have teaching about it. Jesus is the Christ. But, but listen, the question right now is not what Randy says about Jesus. Not what Megan says about Jesus or Daniel says about Jesus or your parents say about Jesus or your spouse says about Jesus. Jesus says, but what about you? It's got to be a you and Jesus conversation. Who do you say that I am? And the answer to that has profound implications both both now and throughout eternity. And you may answer, well, I think Jesus is a good guy. I think Jesus is a good teacher. He may even be sent by God. He made the world a better place. History done, sealed, finished. Finished. And listen, that's just admiring Jesus. Jesus isn't asking for your admiration. There, There was a writer that I read this week that he says that at this point we have to move from admiration to adoration. We have to move from, Jesus, you seem like a really neat guy, to, you're the Christ the son of the living God. (laughs) There's a big difference between admiring Jesus and putting your faith in him as your savior and Lord to the point that your life is an expression of worship. And then almost jarringly, Jesus says, hey, listen, uh, yeah, don't tell anybody about this. And and we might even want to add yet, right, because we know that Jesus eventually says, go out, go Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But right here, he says, yep, don't tell anybody about this. And we're like, why does he do that? And, and, And I think that we have to see that even here, Peter and his friends are seeing, but as we go back to the first story, in one sense, they're seeing phase one. They're seeing phase one. And they don't yet see clearly. They're, they're like that blind man that was just healed. And in phase one, they went, can you see anything? Yeah, yeah, I see people. They look like trees. Okay, you're, you're seeing, you're not really seeing clearly. And we'll see in this next passage next week that Peter was right in saying Jesus is Messiah. But his sight is still incomplete. And he still has this nationalistic view of Messiah. Messiah is here to, to save and rescue Israel. We tend to sometimes marry Jesus into our own forms of nationalism. And our vision is too dim. Jesus, Peter sees Jesus as Messiah, but he has a long way of under, to understand what Messiah is actually there to do. And how he's to follow. And Messiah is going to need to be redefined. And and it's going to have to move from their perception to God's reality. Messiah is going to have to suffer. Messiah is going to have to die. And that just does not, we'll see this next week, does not compute. So I'm going to close in just a couple of really quick encouragements. First, be patient with others on the journey. Be patient. Be patient with others who are, the Lord is leading to himself, that have just started the journey, or people who are on a long way in the journey and they're not seeing and responding in the pace you'd like them to. You know, some people see all at once and some people apparently see it kind of happens in faces and I I think that we just need a lot of patience with one another, amen? Um, Second, even when we're blessed with a spiritual vision, to see Jesus for who he is, there's always a call for personal humility. Personal humility when it comes to the knowledge of God and Christ. And this is what Alan was getting to. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13, 12 says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. Now we see as but, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I see in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Partial now, fullness to come. Our spiritual healing this side of heaven has given us enough information for us to be able to say, I know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, But there's still a lot we don't see. (laughs) And there's still a lot we're growing in. And and if you're anything like me, uh, you know, I've been with the Lord since I was a little kid, and I still feel like scales are falling off my eyes, right? Right? And there's growth. And then eventually there's glory where we say, wow, I really did see dimly. So that that should encourage humility. The the Christians that are strutting around as the know-it-alls should raise the red flag, right? And, And then lastly, he has revealed enough of himself to move from admiration to adoration. He has revealed enough. And and I think he'll reveal more and more and more, but he's got to go from good guy to Messiah God to Savior and Lord. And he keeps asking that question, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, that Jesus still wants to take us by the hand and lead us out of the village and just away from the clamor and away from the noise and the crowd and touch our eyes and, and ask us, do you see anything? Can you see me now? Lord, please help us to see you more clearly. I pray for any, Lord, that that have not seen you or recognized you or acknowledged you for who you really are, that even this morning, they would not leave the building till they did that. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I have to fall on my knees before you. There's salvation only in your name. Lord, help us all to continue to see you more clearly, that we would move from admiration to adoration. Help us to be humble knowing that even as much as we grow, we are still seeing but a poor reflection and patient as you were with your disciples, with others that are on the journey. We thank you for these true stories and that they live on and they speak into our lives. May we go out, Lord God, seeing you more clearly, living lives of humility and encouraging and keep inviting people to Jesus along the way. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.